Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another fun-filled installment of the Fuel Your Fandom podcast. My name is Saint. And I'm Jim. Hi, Jim. How the hell are you? You know, I've been wonderful. How about yourself? You know, I can't complain. I like to. I can't either. It doesn't really stop me, but uh, I can't. <laughs> right. I just can't. I do at volume and at length, but uh, no one listens, so that's fine. Nope. Yeah. Uh, what's up with you? Anything new? Um, you know, not really, but, uh, since the last time we talked, um, I got a, just the tiniest bit of grief, um, which was deserved because as I was talking about the, uh, uh, the Lionsgate deal where they're going to be streaming movie releases day one, like John Wick and the right. new Ghostbusters movie, um, my lady reminded me, Hey, you know, you forgot to mention Borderlands and that's a big oversight on my part because she's a big Borderlands fan. I'm a big Borderlands fan. Well, of course you won with those cards. Even Steve could have won with those cards. And all he can say is, hey Shut the f*** up, Steve! And people say I'm annoying. And uh, not just, uh, is Borderlands going to be another one of those day one releases when the movie finally comes out, but the original draft of the Borderlands screenplay was actually done by my friend Craig Mazin, who uh, also was the driving force showrunner behind the HBO Chernobyl series. Uh, he did a couple of the scary movie movies with uh, Dave Zucker, and he also uh, wrote the last two Hangover films. So he's uh, he was the original drafter of the Borderlands script, and that's another film that definitely ties into geekery that will be coming out day one in theaters and on streaming when Lionsgate releases that. So that's uh, that's pretty exciting. Looking forward to, do, to checking that out. Do we know what streaming service that's going to pop up on? Or I want to say they just said Roku. Uh, Lionsgate has a deal with Roku. So it's going to be, I guess, just hmm. on the Roku channel. Um, that's the only information that I have. That's all I've been able to find. But that's pretty exciting either way. Actually, yeah. And and again, in the in, I think we were talking off camera. We kind of want to make... Uh, we'll turn this into a little segment, a recurring segment we'll be calling Ain't That Neat. Ain't That Neat. And Ain't so, That Neat. Another piece of news that's kind of neat uh, in the vein of talking about movies that are going to be released. Uh, the Batman 2 has officially been greenlit to surprise of no one. Because that movie yeah. did pretty well in the theaters. It's smashing streaming numbers right now. It's it's a very heavy candidate for a, a sequel. And so that has finally been greenlit. It took them all of, what, less than a month to officiate that? So Yep. I do kind of hope that this one is not plagued by the uh, the production woes of the first one. Because it just seemed like that first one absolutely took forever. Uh, we heard that... Uh, that Battenson was going to be wearing the cape and cowl, I want to say, two or three years ago. And right. they just kept on hitting production snags. And some of that was COVID. Some of it was apparently Pattinson being a little difficult on set with Matt Reeves. But, uh, uh, you know, money is king. And regardless of whatever snags they hit while they were in production in that first movie, if it did well enough, they are always going to make a second one. And so apparently we are getting more of this latest iteration of the Batman franchise. And uh, I'm, I'm all for it. Like you said, the first one was really good. So uh, subsequent editions can't help but also be uh, much in the same vein. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. It should be a pretty, pretty good um, personal news. Let's see. What else? What's going on with me? Oh, uh, I did this. I have this recipe that I like to make. Uh, from time to time, it's one of the simplest freaking things that we make, 
Uh, it's a crock pot uh, pinto bean recipe. And literally, all it is is you throw crock, you throw uh, a couple pounds of dry pinto beans into a crock pot with uh, enough water to fill the bowl, the pan, but the crock pot, uh, garlic, a couple of onions, and then some cut up habaneros and serranos in a tea ball so it can steep the spice, the spice sure. into the into the mixture. That's it, and some salt pork. Usually I use smoked ham hocks, but we've been using salt pork lately because it doesn't have the bones. And so yeah. uh, you let that sucker go and, like, it's, we started it last night. And uh, it's still not done. It'll be ready here probably in about an hour. We had it rocking on high now. But uh, you let it go for uh, just an ungodly amount of time. And, and, like, you walk into my house right now and it's just such a treat. Your stomach starts grumbling right away because it's like it just the smell permeates the house. It's fantastic. Mm, it's a, it's so a present. The crock pot is just as full of beans as you are. Pretty much, but pretty much, and soon it'll be full of as much hot air as I normally am. So, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I speaking of, uh, of of hot air, it's been a little farty around here the last couple of days. Uh, because I'm trying really hard to, uh, to to not eat as much sugar. Um, not just because, you know, the old type 2 is uh, constantly looming on the horizon, but it's just, you know, sugar's the devil. It's really not good for you. Um, and there's been a, a huge crop of, of new sugar-free goodies that have come out recently. Uh, and I ordered a bunch of them about a year and a half ago. Oh, yeah, there's, there's an artificial sweetener called, uh, depending on how you pronounce it, it's maltitol or molitol. I think the tea might be silent. I've heard it pronounced as molitol. And it is something like 92% chemically identical to sugar. The only difference, it's a sugar alcohol. The only difference is that it doesn't brown if you try and use it in a recipe. Um, that's the only real chemical property you'll notice from the outside. But in addition to... Uh, it doesn't brown, but uh, oh boy, yes, uh, you will does. if you eat it. Yes, um, it does. It's just not the truth. Yeah, it, it doesn't brown over heat, but if you if you try and put it in your body heat, um, anything that you buy that says uh, yeah could cause excessive uh, gas or uh, diarrhea <laughs> with with, okay. with excessive consumption. Hey, leakage. Yeah, the uh, the Haribo sugar free gummy bear uh, review on Amazon story that came out a couple years ago was was uh, as a result of Molotol. But for better or for worse, Molotol has become the artificial sweetener of choice for a lot of candy and goodie manufacturers that are trying to avoid sugar. And I just put in a huge order to Nuts.com because I was uh, I fell prey to some advertising that I stumbled across on my timeline on Facebook. These nuts. Yeah, and uh, some of the stuff looked pretty good, and they had uh, free shipping over 50 bucks. so I ordered a bunch of shit, some sugar-free bridge mix, some sugar-free chocolate-covered pretzels, and oh boy, are they delicious, but you kind of have to really make sure that you monitor yourself um, <laughs> as you uh, are eating those things, because if you have, you know, a couple of handfuls of those uh, for, for, for dessert after dinner, or uh, kind of as, you know, as a snack in the afternoon for work... Holy cow, uh, do you wind up with uh, bubbly gut rot by the time uh, it's time to go to bed? And uh, wow, you know, the air freshener's got to be in full effect and the, the, the fan has to be oscillating like a mad motherfucker because, man, does your room fill up fast if you I, don't watch yourself. And, and we're not above poop humor, guys. In case you're Hell wondering no. uh, where we sit in the uh, maturity rankings, just so you know. 
And the reason this is as funny to me now, I got to relate for this, and it's not a personal yeah. relate. Uh, back when I was uh, married the last time, the 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 bad time, uh, my ex-wife had decided she was going to do a diet, and so she bought a lot of because we used to go to a lot of movies, and we would go to the bulk bins at like your Top Foods or your Safeways or whatever and get the candies from the bulk bins. I was sure. particularly partial to like the little uh, taffies. Or, uh, like the, the, not junior mints, but the peppermint patties, things like that. Yeah. And so she would get her own version of all these things, but in the sugar free. And the time that, and, and boy, howdy, were you not wrong? Because the time that I remember most vividly was when we went to see Return of the King in the theaters. Now, of course, anyone who's watched oh, that's the a good three and a half hour movie. Right. You see where I'm going with this. She'd yes, been I munching do. these fucking candies in this entire movie. And so now this movie is notorious for having uh, multiple endings. And uh, you get to the end of this movie and you're not there. There's like still three more movie endings. Yeah. And so we got to like the middle of the second ending. And uh, she just abruptly stood up and departed. Left the theater. Yeah. Oh, fuck! I need to keep in mind, we were both uh, heavily steeped in the SCA at this point, so she's in, like, her medieval garb and all this shit, because we went to this thing and and fully gussied up in medieval Renaissance fair shit. And uh, so she bolts upright and just vamooses from the theater. She's gone for the entire rest of the movie. It's not until after the movie and the credits and everything and everyone's applauding and standing up because it's opening night, obviously. Yeah. And so <laughs> I finally leave the theater to try to go find her. She comes stumbling out of the bathroom like 10 minutes later. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, are you all right? <laughs> and she's like, no. These sugar-free <laughs> candies fucking have fucked, wrecked havoc. On her internal systems. Now, uh, oh, me, being, me being the supportive husband that I was at the time, I almost peed myself laughing because that's funny to me. I'm here to tell you how mature yeah. I am. That's funny to me. There's a certain line. that if, if you have a handful or two of this sugar-free stuff, you're probably fine. And the gas comes from the fact that your body, there's, there's a, a component... So one covalent bond or something different from like the sugar molecule when they do the sugar liquor that your body can't digest and can't break it down. So uh, it turns into uh, to, to gas if you eat just enough of it. But if you eat more than just enough of it, then it says, okay, well, clearly you haven't heated the warning on the bag or the warning of your bubble guts. So uh, we're going to convert that gas into just super soaker jets of shit. That's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be able to shit through a straw, and that's just all there is to it. So um, either you listen to the warning on the bag or you pay the price. And, uh, you know, a couple of hands full of these things, uh, you're fine. Uh, you're going to be a little bit gassy, and that's going to be the end of it. But, um, yeah, you, if you look down and realize, oh, no, I ate the whole bag, then uh, then, then it's it's time to, to, to pay the price and get punished for that. Oh! Does number two work for? That's right, buddy. You show that turd who's boss. So now, for those of you who weren't uh, necessarily sure what uh, Jim was referring to with the Haribo gummy bears, there's a a long list of really funny uh, reviews on Amazon and other places. But 
the one that made the rounds, uh, this is from uh, June 5th, 2015. The title of the review, written by a man named Luke, one star, see you in hell, Haribo sugar-free gummy bears. And just uh-huh. a couple a couple of, uh, of uh, excerpts from this. As a late-night study session, I felt confident, but I had to decide between sleeping in or cooking breakfast. My eyelids chose sleep. My stomach later regretted this decision, and after several uncomfortable stomach growls, I finally decided to make a quick stop by the campus bookstore and grab a snack before my test. Since the semester was ending and everyone was going home for the summer, a lot of items were on sale, including the snacks and candy that they kept up front. Being in the hungry state that I was in, it felt only logical to pick the largest yet least expensive candy in order to get more bang for my buck. And there they sat. Two bags of Haribo sugar-free gummy bears. Buy one, get one free. What a deal, I thought naively. Okay. I would eat one bag before my test and one bag afterwards. As I walked to class, I gleefully chewed on those abominable little bastards, unaware of the utter mayhem that they would soon unleash upon my poor, poor anus. I sat down at my desk as the professor informed us that due to issues with cheating in the past, restroom breaks would be prohibited until the completion of the exam. I'll give you ten minutes to use the restroom now. This will be your last chance. Any takers? The demon bears hadn't released their unholy necromancy upon my stomach yet, so in my moment of ignorant foolishness, I remained seated, still munching on those miniature bear-shaped bombs. I was six questions in when it happened. It started subtly at first, almost like a slight tingly sensation in my lower abdomen. I thought nothing of it, assuming my intestines were just doing their thang. Little did I know that my intestines were trying desperately to warn me of the horror that was on the horizon. By question nine, it happened again, but this time it was followed by a sharp pain, as if those infernal hellions had orchestrated an attack upon my colon. I fought to contain the groan that tried escaping my lips. It was at this point I began to panic. Something was going horribly, horribly wrong, and I needed to get through this test before it got any worse. I'm going to keep going. This is fucking hilarious. By question 14, my worst fear was upon me. The Satan Bear's burning hot, liquidy, dark magic crashed against my anal sphincter like a tidal wave. I was able to close the hatch just in time. (laughs) But those relentless, toxic bears beat against it like the orcs breaking down the doors of Helm's Deep. I knew I wouldn't be able to so much as shift in my seat without risking a breach. (laughs) I gotta keep going at this point. I'm committed. I kept fighting through my exam, clenching my cheeks with all my might. Beads of sweat began rolling down my neck. And suddenly, a loud, gurgling war cry came from my belly. And the entire class lifted their heads. Mm -hmm. At this point, nothing mattered except expelling this ungodly presence from my bowels. With 15 questions left, I promptly wrote C for every answer... And ran out of the classroom. My professor yelled something, but I was too preoccupied with the volcanic eruption that needed to take place before I could find sweet, sweet relief. I burst into the restroom like the Kool-Aid man. Yeah! And behold, the handicapped stall was empty. Sun rays from the adjacent window shone upon it, as if it were a gift from God himself. 
It took me less than 0.5 seconds to undo my belt buckle, pull down my pants, and finally relax my weary buttocks upon the toilet seat. It took absolutely no effort to expel this demon. Almost immediately the floodgates of hell were opened, and the damned liquefied souls of an entire bag's worth of gummy bears cried as they burned through my sphincter and into the watery abyss below. I had never felt such simultaneous relief and anguish in my life. After thirty more minutes of this, I immediately went home, dug a hole in my backyard, and buried the rest, remaining bag of gummy bears. I leave <clears> with this. Yeah. Do not, I repeat, do not eat these spawns of Satan. Not only did they cause me to fail my final test, but the anguish I experienced is something I wouldn't wish upon anyone, not even my own worst enemy. The only place these godforsaken hell bears belong are buried deep below the Earth's surface. Every word of that is true. <laughs> this stuff, I, you know, good heavens, it really is one of those moments where you're sitting there thinking, are my organs, my very vitals going to be splashing into the bowl next? It really is Liquified horrendous. everything. And yeah. To the point where I'm thinking to myself, you know, the, the shelves at the, at the Walgreens and the Rite Aid are just filled with all of these laxatives where gentle overnight relief. And if you can, are you not able to go to the toilet? Well, here, you need to take some of this wheat germ stuff or metamucil or whatever it is when all you need to do really is just eat a delicious bag of sugar-free maltitol candy maltitol candy however you want to pronounce it and uh you will not experience gentle overnight relief you will experience explosive relief within a matter of a few hours uh, the fact that they don't prescribe these belief. these delicious admittedly delicious candies which is why these the side effect is such an issue because it's really difficult to stop eating these things once you start. Because, you know, you think to yourself, well, they're guilt-free. There's no sugar. They're not going to give me diabetes. They're not going to rot my teeth. And, boy, do they taste good. So you just wind up eating the entire fucking bag. And then pretty soon you realize why there's a warning on the label that says you shouldn't mm -hmm. do that. Absolutely. And, uh, and sorry for the deviation, folks. And especially about the alarming amount of potty humor. But, Jesus, that's funny. And I hadn't read that in, oh, probably about five years. 18, Do check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> Literally. 18,770 people found this review helpful. So, there you have it. I, I may have even been one of their numbers. Oh, I probably was too. I love Haribo. But... Yeah? I won't touch the demon bears. As he calls it. So, other than that, that whole... <laughs> Shitty aside, if you'll uh, allow the pun, uh, <laughs> we we're here again to finish our conversation, part two, talking about villainy in the MCU. Now we left off about halfway through our list of Doctor Strange. We talked about Cassilius and Mads Mikkelsen, and of course uh, Chuetel Ejiofor. Ejiofor. Chuetel Ejiofor. That was close that time. Uh, we we did neglect to mention, of course, that Benedict Cumberbatch played a villain himself in that movie. In addition to playing Stephen Strange, he also played the voice of the Dread Dormammu. And so that yes. was a little something fun. Uh, I love... He plays a mean, menacing voice. He played Smaug in the Hobbit movies as well. And that was fun, so... 
But the next movie up on our list, continuing. Now, again, of course, if you want to join in this conversation, feel free. Absolutely, please do. We would welcome you into this conversation. Hit us up at facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom. You can send us a message there. You can send us a message in our email, which is fuel your fandom at gmail.com. FYFTalentBooking at gmail.com or on Twitter at fuel underscore your and Instagram at at fuel your fandom or on Cash App, Venmo or paypal at at fuel your fandom and of course you can always find us any place you get your fine podcasts up to and including spotify audible google podcasts apple podcast player fm uh, iHeartRadio, all the great places you get podcasts and if you're impatient like i can be the latest and greatest episode always goes up very early friday mornings at fuelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com Uh, And we do hope you reach out, and we always love it when you put us in your ear holes. It's nice and soft and warm in there. Yes, maybe maybe hit it with a Q-tip every now and again. Don't give yourself an ear infection. That happens. Hell no. Oh, before we get back into that, there was one more thing I wanted to address. It was something that I kind of pulled up as we were uh, uh, talking. Just in the holy shit, batshit, bonkers news kind of segment. There was a man who back in... Oh, four years ago. He's in Japan. His name is Akihiko Kondo. He married a hologram. A fictional character hologram. Uh, A hologram of Hatsune Miku. uh, Which, based on a computerized, synthesized pop singer who has toured with Lady Gaga and starred in video games, they began... He began with a stuffed doll and moved his way up to a a device called a gate box, which allowed users to interact with fictional characters represented by a small hologram. Which, usually, that's pretty neat. Technologically, I'm into shit like that. Not, I'm not going to marry a hologram, but that'd be kind of neat. You know, have a hologram that you can interact with. Well... This guy spent $1,300 on this device. But after having spent 10 years with Miku by his side, he decided to pop the question. To which the hologram responded, please treat me well. Which is disturbing for a hologram. That's kind of a long engagement, but okay. I mean, I guess sure. uh, people I mean, marry real dolls and wifey pillows and stuff. So I, I guess, sure, a hologram, whatever. That's that's weird, but, uh, I'll, you know, fine. Okay. Doting husband has gained thousands of followers on Instagram by sharing insights into his life with Miku. But things took an unexpected turn during the pandemic when Gatebox announced it was discontinuing its service for Miku. Oh, no. How dare you get in the way of love, Gatebox. You unplugged my wife's server. What's wrong with you? Connor was forced to say goodbye to the hologram version of Miku, and when he returned home from work that night, her image had been replaced by the words network error. Oh my. Though Miku can no longer respond to her husband, Kondo still finds love and solace in his wife through his assortment of Miku dolls that he has now collected. This is super creepy. You know, not everybody's lucky enough to find their person, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I've been lonely in my life for sure, but I mean, I just don't think that I've been necessarily lonely enough to uh, 
to pull a Joaquin Phoenix and fall in love with an AI. I just, I, you know, I feel for people who uh, who who are that isolated, but uh, man, that's just that's just tragic on a lot of levels. They've even created a term for this, and I've never seen this before. And you, being a big fan of the English language, I gotta kind of see what you feel about this. The word is fictosexual. Oh, good lord. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, grammatically, <laughs> I'll allow it, but conceptually, it's just so fucking pathetic. Bizarre. But, I mean, who am I to judge somebody else's life choices, I guess? I mean, you know... He's people, not hurting anybody. However you... How, you know, he's not hurting anybody. However you find love in your life, uh, whatever makes you feel fulfilled and taken care of and cared for, I guess, uh, more power to you. I just, uh, boy. Uh, I just, just, it's I just thought sad. it was strange. I thought it was strange. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, discontinued by Gearbox. Here's hoping that Gearbox uh, uh, sees the error of their ways and reunites this man with his lost love. So that was just something that I found that I thought was was interesting technologically, interesting uh, sociologically, and just kind of mm-hmm. kind of just loaded with subtext. I guess I don't know. So that happened. So that is a thing that happened. Anyways, yep. Back to the MCU conversation. I apologize. I derail. I derailed my own self. I wish I had a gauge for how often that actually happens because it does happen quite a lot. But we never go off on tangents on this program. No. Why would we do that? But as we'd said, we finished talking about uh, Doctor Strange. Now the next movie chronologically, not chronologically. Excuse me. The next movie. Uh, in order of release date, would be Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which uh, brought us the the villain, Ego the Living Planet, played wonderfully by Kurt Russell. I'm a huge Kurt Russell fan, from like way back, computer wears tennis shoes kind of days, back in his old Disney owns my ass days, which apparently is still a thing. Uh, yeah, Kurt but, Russell is one of the few child stars uh, that actually managed to transition to adult stardom with his sanity intact, and uh, there's not too many of those. Um, right. I think uh, uh, Neil Patrick Harris is another one, um, but you always hear about child stars kind of either dropping out of the business entirely once they realize, you know, this is a thing I did when I was a kid, and it's just not really my thing anymore. Uh, Mar Wilson, who was famously Matilda, um, kind of did that. Uh, the actress who played Winnie Cooper, uh, Danica McKellar, McKellar. Uh, on The Wonder Years, she uh, became a, a physicist. Uh, Mind Bialik took a break uh, between Blossom and Big Bang Theory to uh, to become a neuroscientist, and you know. But it's uh, there are very few actors or actresses who have managed to continue to work throughout their sort of like awkward adolescent years, and and then continue to be a viable uh, performer into adulthood, but Kurt Russell is definitely one of those. Yeah, Disney owned his ass once upon a time, and I guess now that he uh, has been in the MCU, they kind of own his ass again. But through the computer wore tennis shoes, through that darn cat, which I believe he was also in, if I'm not mistaken, um, through uh, stuff like, you know, the Snake Plissken years and and uh, everything else he's done, he's, he's managed to, uh, to keep his career uh, pretty much consistent as an A-lister and, and good for him. So, yes, another fantastic character actor that did a, a wonderful villain turn in the MCU as Ego the Living Planet in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, also, uh, a.k.a. Star-Lord's father in this particular version of the mythology. Right. Now, that said, I'm not a huge Christmas movie fan, but have you seen the Christmas Chronicles movies that he's done for Netflix? Uh... 
I don't think I have. I did see an interview he did where he was hanging out with Goldie Hawn and did uh, like a talk with Extra Entertainment Weekly or something where not, not Entertainment Weekly, Entertainment Tonight, one of those TV entertainment magazines. And uh, right, I, I gotta say, uh, in, in the red suit with the beard on, he he looked the part. So good for fantastic. him. But I did it's not fantastic. see the movies. I, I think they're not a fan of Christmas movies either. Really, I, I'm not either. But the, the, he's like a shining example of of just he's good. He's really, really good. He's a fantastic actor. Uh, also, actor fantastic bastard in this movie, so that was good. Who in the hell do you think you are? You killed my mother! <laughs> yeah, he was. Just kind of turned on that charm faucet in a way that, uh, kind of like a Tom Hiddleston's Loki, just very charming and very oily, but uh, you know, kind of using that, uh, that, that, that charm, that magnanimous appeal to just kind of be lured in his victims and be an absolute bastard so yeah but a really great turn and uh one of the better movies in the mcu the guardians absolutely next movie uh spider-man homecoming we have uh a hero turned villain if you will Mm -hmm. with our good friend mr michael keaton playing adrian tombs the vulture i have to say i was a huge huge fan of the Batman movie the 89 Batman movie uh, directed by Tim Burton starring Michael Keaton now you want to get nuts come on let's get nuts uh, that, yeah. was, that was right in my wheelhouse 11 12 year old Kevin that was just perfect for me that was my, Jimmy, sure. my jam I had all the fucking baseball cards the, I had the, the toys oh my god I, I, I bought a so box of the Batman, Batman cereal because it was shrink wrapped with a plastic Batman coin bank on the outside of it i love that but i think it's funny we talked about this when we did our live episode about um who was the best batman right um and it's a weird kind of overlap in the venn diagram between goofy campy adam west bing pow zap batman where cesar romero refused to shave his mustache to play the joker and these sort of like very gritty christian bale and robert pattinson batman that we have now um because at the time i remember thinking oh this is a it's Tim Burton. It's a it's a dark take on Batman. They've they've definitely updated uh, the goofy campy Batman to be very uh, sort of gritty and more in line with his origins. But of course, we look at '89 Batman now in light of some of the Batman we've had uh, since then, and and it really is just as much camp uh, compared to today's Batman as 100% Batman was to Adam yeah. West. You know, it, it just seems like we've continued to to tumble down the gritty reboot rabbit hole which is a very hard sentence to say phonetically. But, um, yeah, he, he was a nice bridge between campy Batman and gritty Batman because he was equal parts campy and gritty, and I kind of love him for that. But I remember back in the day, which, again, was a Tuesday, a lot of people kind of questioned the casting of, uh, of Michael Keaton, saying, oh, you wait, wait, multiplicity Michael Keaton? Wait, the gung-ho Michael Keaton, the comedy actor? M- Mr. He's going to play Batman? Yeah, WT fuck, you know? How is that going to work? And then we wound up getting what, uh, to the time, and, and still holds up as, as being one of the better Batman that's ever been committed to celluloid. And, uh, yeah, it's still. I mean, it, he surprised a lot of people with that turn. And uh, it still holds up. I still love it. And so we get to see him in his full villainous glory as uh, Adrian Toomes, the Vulture. You walk through those doors, you forget any of this happened. And don't you ever, ever interfere with my business again. Because if you do, I'll kill you and everybody you love. I'll kill you dead. That's what I'll do to protect my family, Pete. 
Do you understand? Uh, he is very much a, a well-balanced, nuanced character versus the Vulture that we had in the comics. Uh, he, obviously, yes. he's not like 90,000 years old like the Vulture in the comics is. Um, cancer wasn't his primary motivation. The entire motivation behind him was just trying to make a buck in the wake of the attack on New York. Uh, and when Damage Control stepped in and took uh, control of what they were doing, he kind of went for self. And I get it. I mean, I yeah. understand it. Um, but, yeah, so we ended up getting uh, the Vulture in this role, which I, I really enjoy Michael Keaton's work pretty much wherever he's at. So, Truth. He is Birdman, he is Batman, he is Beetlejuice. It's showtime. And he is the Vulture, and he, he digs into all of them with equal aplomb, and God bless him for it. Absolutely. Uh, after that we have Thor Ragnarok. Now this is, I believe, Taika Waititi's first foray into the MCU, correct? Yes. Uh, as both director and actor, because he stars as, a, uh, what's his name? I forget the rock guy's Korg. name. Korg. Korg! Yeah, fuck off, ghost. No, piss off, ghost. Sorry, it's not fuck off, ghost. It's it's piss off, ghost, because it is a family-friendly-ish film. Piss <laughs> off, ghost. Oh, I love Korg. With his delightfully lilting Kiwi accent. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Korg. I'm kind of like the leader in here. I'm made of rocks, as you can see, but don't let that intimidate you. You don't need to be afraid unless you're made of scissors. <laughs> Just a little rock-paper-scissor joke for you. Um, But the villains in Thor Ragnarok, we have... Uh, again, we have kind of a villain and then kind of a, a bumbling oaf sidekick. Uh, in the villain role, of course, we have Kate Blanchett playing Hela. Thor, in this version of Thor, uh, his uh, older sister, uh, abandoned by uh, Odin. And uh, once Odin, spoiler alert, I guess, passes away, uh, she's released from her imprisonment. And uh, is not too keen on the fact that she was... Uh, summarily written out of history. And rightfully so, I can imagine. Uh, for being someone as long-lived as the Asgardians' gods were, uh, I can kind of see that being a, a minor burr under the saddle. But Kate Blanchett also uh, notably starred in uh, the Lord of the Rings movies as... Uh, yes, our, our third elf uh, to play uh -huh. an MCU villain behind Lee Pace and, uh, and Hugo Weaving. Right, and uh, Galadriel, the elf. Uh, yes. So she was uh, very dark, very gothy, which was kind of cool. And then she, of course, is bossing around her bumbling uh, assistant, uh, Scourge the Executioner, played wonderfully by one of my favorite actors of all time, uh, Carl Urban. He's fantastic. Yeah, Carl Urban, who is Bones, who is Judge Dredd, who is Billy Butcher, just a fantastic character actor. Who, oh uh, again, just like many of the other people we talked about on this list, who just jumps into everything with both feet and just digs in and doesn't let go. And he was fantastic in this as well. But uh, Hela is, is one of my favorite MCU villains because she was able to put Loki kind of in his place. As, oh, you think you're a badass? Wait until your older sister shows the fuck up. Because she's going <laughs> uh, to show you what it really means to be evil. And I also appreciate Hela, uh, her character design, Kind of almost seemed specifically designed to be a big, uh, fuck you, try this on for size cosplayers kind of an outfit with that crazy tribal tattoo headdress she had going on and the, the coal black eyeliner. Uh, she looked fantastic and she was just vampy as fuck and I just absolutely loved that character, loved Kate Blanchett playing her. 
And I loved the fact that uh, that, that, that Thor and Loki in that film kind of had to unite against the common enemy a little bit. Um, because, you know, the whole essence of, like, sibling rivalry and familial drama that they had had together... Well, we're going to snipe at each other. We're going to uh, to be to be you know brothers that that don't really get along and sometimes do and sometimes don't. But holy shit, you think we have some sibling rivalry going on? Wait, team and our older sister because she's the real dark sheep of the family. And then she comes along and just absolutely doesn't chew scenery. She uh, she eats it up and shits it out and then builds whole new scenery out of it. Want to see what true power really looks like? I, I just fucking fantastic star turn from Kate Blanchett in Thor Ragnarok. In, insanely rewatchable, uh, oh, fantastically yeah. cosplayable, and just an all-around amazing character. And, and say what you will about Marvel's pacing for these villains, but one of the coolest things that I got to see, that we all got to see in this movie, was just that that moment when we weren't exactly sure who she was. And anyone who's yeah. read the comic books knows that she's the, the mistress of hell, and she's kind of uh, like Hades version, and like the, the, this version of the gods, Hades basically, ruler of the underworld. But we didn't really know what to expect from her in the MCU because we hadn't seen her before, we hadn't heard of her before. So that moment where she stops Mjolnir cold in the middle of its flight towards her, one of the most fearsome weapons in the universe, forged in the uh, in a in, in the heart of a star, it can level. Uh, you know, even Thanos under certain circumstances, and Thor chucks it out. She goes, "Think, crunch, Explodes fuck you." Explodes it. Oh, dramatically! Just, it, what a demonstr- what an entrance, and what a demonstration of her her incredible power. Just, uh, oh, you've got a hammer. Guess what? I've got a fist. Fuck you, bang! And he, just watching Thor's face when his his crutch of a weapon gets demolished right in front of him was just brilliant, and beautiful, and, and holds up as one of the biggest. Gasp-worthy moments in the entire MCU, of right. which there have been dozens. And, and she's a badass, and, and, and a lot of people gave her a lot of uh, shit, gave Marvel a lot of shit, because in this movie they eliminated the Warriors 3. Thor's sidekicks, basically. With uh, the exception of Lady Sif, who uh, right. we got to hang out a little bit uh, on the periphery. But killed them without nary a breaking a sweat just unceremoniously after yeah. being if not like a, a, a huge part of the first two thor movies uh I still teased. definitely you know very much in the mix of the plot and then in the third one they just kind of hand waved them off and just killed them off unceremoniously almost off screen almost as an afterthought oh yeah you guys guess what you're dead and and, and that was just one of those moments where you just kind of thought to yourself oh shit somebody's not fucking around this time out but okay so very wonderful to see Kate Blanchett flexing her evil, dramatic muscles there. I love seeing that meme that came out after that that was talking about how maybe uh, Thor was the adopted one because Loki and her both shared a <laughs> sense of the gothic drama of it all. And uh, Yeah. And whereas he's like the blonde-haired jock, so uh, he's the one that doesn't fit in all of a sudden with her introduction, so. Good stuff. Now this this villain, this is one of the ones that took me... And just blew me away. I didn't know a lot about yes. him in the comics. Uh, but just so well played and so nuanced as to maybe in certain instances not be a villain. And we've talked about that. Black Panther introduces to Eric Killmonger, played uh, by Michael B. Jordan. I'm standing in your house, serving justice to a man who stole your vibranium and murdered your people. Justice your king couldn't deliver. Now what do you want? I want the throne. 
Y'all sitting up here comfortable. Must feel good. It's about two billion people all over the world that looks like us. But their lives are a lot harder. Wakanda has the tools to liberate them all. Wonderfully, all, beautifully, and over the top, yeah. just fantastically by, by Michael B. Jordan, who is just one of the better actors we have. Absolutely. And a definite case of a villain being brought forward who maybe has a point, who's maybe yeah. not entirely wrong. Because a very sympathetic villain who you kind of look his, at him and you go, I can get his motivations behind this. Right, because his entire drive was to get back to his people. His people yeah. who didn't even know he existed. Right. Uh, T'Chaka didn't know. T'Challa didn't know. Nobody knew he existed except for his father, T'Chaka's brother, who T'Chaka killed. And yeah. T'Chaka knew there might be... Uh, people left behind, he didn't care. He went back to Wakanda, did his own thing. But here we have this estranged prince who comes back to Wakanda to claim his birthright, and he's got a fucking point. He's the older brother? I mean, he's technically got a right claim for the throne. He does, and his motivations of, you know, we kind of got to... Uh, Wakanda, I understand that you know they've been hiding for a long time behind their technological scrim and and kind of protecting the vibranium. But uh, you know, with, with the death of T'Chaka, T'Challa's kind of trying to take things in a, a little bit more modern of a direction. But I feel like we kind of need to, to maintain the course and, and close ranks a little bit and maybe be, you know, just to stay the way we've been in order to preserve the integrity of the country and maybe not necessarily close the borders, but just be judicious about who we let in and what we open up to. And and it, you kind of just you kind of got to to weigh that against. The motivations of the ostensible protagonists and go, yeah, I can really see both sides of that. Right, and then in addition to, he's like, we got this technology, We're, we can make money from this technology. There are people who would buy this technology. There is, There are people all over the world that need this technology that you are hoarding. Yeah. And, I mean, he's got a point. It's, it's I mean, he's still kind of a... It's like a villain that they had to kind of write in a little bit of dickishness just so they could be like, remember, guys, he's the bad guy. Yeah. It's like they had to do that. They had to MacGuffin it just enough to where it's like, oh, right, we're not supposed to be seeing this guy's point of view. And especially because Michael B. Jordan is just so insanely likable and charismatic that you watch him on the screen and you want to believe that he's got the best interests of Wakanda at heart and that maybe... Even though we, we've established that we're supposed to be cheering for T'Challa, this this guy he's 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 got a compelling case for his his side of the argument. So Killmonger, I feel yeah, definitely yeah. one of the another top three villain in the MCU of all time. I think he's fantastic. Definitely, and we have to also mention Ulysses Claw in this uh, uh, villain role. Now we'd seen Ulysses Claw previously in Age of Ultron. Uh, he played. Basically, a privateer, a pirate who stole a shitload of vibranium uh, before anyone else in the MCU really knew what vibranium was or where it came from. Yeah, uh, he was mentioned quite a lot in Age of Ultron. I think didn't Ultron rip his arm off? I think. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, and so that's how he ends Which, up with you, that. A lot of guys in the MCU get their arms ripped off from Bucky to Claw as 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 intentional homages to Star Wars. Absolutely, where there were a lot of. Uh, you know, hands being kind of flung about the, the cosmos. You have a metal arm? That is awesome, dude. But uh, Ulysses Claw being played, yeah, once again, being played by one of the finest character actors who's ever lived and breathed air on this planet. 
the intimidable Andy Serkis, who just, yeah. you can't take anything away from that guy at all. And uh, one of the funnier things, uh, one of the funnier comments that I saw kind of floating around the internet in meme format was because uh, Black Panther mostly took place in Wakanda, um, it, you know, we had a mostly African and African-American cast. I mean, obviously the, the characters were all African, uh, Wakandan, but we had a, uh, a lot of black British actors and a lot of black American actors, but the only real two standout uh, actors that uh, weren't actors of color in that film were Randy Serkis as Ulysses Clow and, of course, Martin Freeman. And um, Martin Freeman, of course, uh, and, and Andy Serkis, also Lord of the Rings veterans. And so the joke <laughs> It's like they purposely that, uh, cribbed this shit. Yeah, the, the joke became they were the Tolkien white guys in that movie, which, <laughs> true, very true. Very, very true. true and also very funny. Absolutely. Now, this next movie, we're going to cut a little bit out of turn here, just because these next, uh, the next one is in multiple movies, and we could talk about both movies at the same time. Yeah. And that is, of course, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, Thanos, as played by... Former Goonie, Josh Brolin. Yeah, Josh Brolin, who, who's pulling double duty in both halves of the MCU, uh, as it's kind of been, well fragmented between uh, Sony Fox and, and Marvel. He's In addition to being Thanos, he was also very famously also Cable in the uh, second Deadpool movie. Which, which because of I Deadpool's, love. He's one yes. of my absolute... Fi- now, if we're talking about comic book characters that I grew up with, that yes. I absolutely adored and loved... X-Force, New Mutants X-Force, Cable, those were my books. Those were the ones that started me. And because we're not really counting... Me. Yes, oh, very, very formative. But because we're not really counting Deadpool as being an MCU uh, entry yet, uh, he does deserve a passing mention, if only for the fact that Deadpool very famously likes to break the uh, the fourth wall. He's very aware of the fact that he's a fictional <laughs> character. So he does refer to Josh Brolin's character of Cable as Thanos... In the movie, which was fucking hilarious for anybody who was paying attention. But, uh, also called him Josh One-Eyed Brolin. Willie. Give me your best shot, One-Eyed Willie. I was little fuckers too far gone. Zip it, Thanos. We have a deal. Yeah, <laughs> brilliance. But, but because he did show up as Thanos, and not just uh, vocally, but he also was on, on set to do motion capture. And it's very right. funny if you see some of the behind-the-scenes pictures, because here's Josh Brolin, who's, I think... Not a small guy. He's all I think like he's five foot ten or five foot nine or something. Not short. Close to my um, yeah. But but he's uh, he's walking around on set and he's got a giant stick poking out of his mocap <laughs> suit with uh, a big plastic purple head and shoulders Thanos like about nine feet in the air. Which know, is, uh, you know because the 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 onset Avengers needed to know where to direct their eye contact and you know as long as they figure well this is a big budget movie we don't want to just stick a tennis ball on a broomstick so we'll give Thanos an actual face. Uh, even as we're doing the mocap, but I kind of hope he got to keep that. that. I hope he got to keep that. You'd you'd love to have that kind of hanging out on your shelf, but Thanos, the 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 sort of villain of villains in the MCU, because he was always kind of hanging out in the background from the first time we saw the replica um, Infinity Gauntlet kind of hanging out in the background of the first Thor movie in, in Asgard. Um, to the point where we had the post credit scene, and I don't remember which fucking movie it's in, where uh, Thanos shows up a couple of times, so we know he's he's uh, lurking in, in the background and plotting, and then finally he shows up and, and does the Thanos thing, which is ripped straight from the pages, where he's trying to collect all the Infinity Stones, plug them into the Infinity Gauntlet, then snap his fingers and wipe out half the life in the universe, because, again, then another villain kind of has a point moment, he he uh, takes a rather drastic approach to 
There are way too many life forms in the cosmos. They're consuming way too many of the resources, and we need to thin the herd and cull the 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 life forms a little bit. And uh, so I'm just going to uh, go bang and knock half of everybody out. See now the <sighs> stupid thing about Thanos here, and this is not. Uh, against Josh Brolin, it's not against the movie. It's not about the acting. It's it's about Thanos's mentality. The thing that he never really thought about. He specifically states, "I'm going to wipe out half of all life." Yes. And he's going to do it uh, dispassionately, mm-hmm. you know, randomly. Life also, because he's saying he wants to save resources. He wants to make life better for the other half. Right? Yeah. And so everybody's left with the opinion that, oh, he's going to take out half of humanity. Done. Gone. Now the Earth is half as populated. More food, more space, more blah, 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 blah. Right? Wrong. Well, half the universe. Not even just Earth. Well, half right, the entire but, cosmos. But All sentient life forms in the universe. Focus on Earth right now because yeah. mm-hmm. those stakes are big enough. Yeah. Half of all life. He didn't say half of humans. He said True. half of life. So if you'll notice in post, uh, in Endgame, right, post Snap before uh, Endgame's uh, undoing of it, you don't see birds in the sky on Earth anymore. Mm -hmm. You don't, I mean, it looks beaten, downtrodden, empty. Because not only did he wipe out half the humans, half the animals, half the plant life, half of life yes and so all these people going oh thanos is right thin the herd uh no stupid he thinned everything and you Mm -hmm. still have exactly the same problem you had before so that's just proportion of resources to go around whether it's livestock and props (laughs) uh or or even just wild uh animals that are eating whatever's out there that they eat in, in the wild uh, yeah, half of life is gone, so all you've done is just uh, take the same problem, and uh, it, it, the, the, the percentages and proportions are the same. Exponentially made it, I mean, nothing changed except everything changed. So I Misery that for the was, sake of misery. It's pretty funny. But anyway, but, yeah. Thanos, uh, the, the, the big bad of, of the entire first half of the MCU, kind of lurking around the background for a lot of it, and then comes to the forefront, and he just goes bang and knocks out half of everything. Uh Despite these sort of like real world considerations of, of uh, the, the granular adaptation of, of an analyzing what his plan was, um, still just a towering villain, just an absolute right. uh, giant, not just physically, but in terms of uh, what he represented to the overall MCU. And uh, just brilliantly played by Josh Brolin and a brilliantly realized character on the screen. Um, and, you know. Obviously, every if you really want to get crazy with some of the well, this could have gone differently if you wanted to be like the to, to armchair quarterback the writing of it. Um, you know, you have his uh, his his squad of uh, of goons whose name I don't remember. But the Black the, Order, you know, Proxima Midnight, and yeah, the Black Order. And uh, very early on in the in the first uh, film where um, Thanos shows up, you've you've got, again that all kind of blurs together in the titles and everything. But in the Avengers. Infinity War, um, you've got the established idea that uh, that 
Doctor Strange can create a portal and then close the portal and cut off somebody's arm because you see that happen to a member of the Black Order. Yep. But somehow that never comes up when they're trying to remove the glove from Thanos. Uh, just doesn't wind up coming. And of course, there was the famous sort of um, the uh, rumor that the Russo brothers had to uh, dispel that made, made the rounds of the internet because the internet is a goddamn cesspool full of horrible people. Of why don't we just have Ant Man fly up his ass and then uh, go Giant Man <laughs> on him and just explode Thanos from the inside? And uh, as disgusting as that is, and as puerile as that is, and as oh the the idea of of Scott Lang, which is would be a character for him to just like you know go ahead and, and fly up Thanos's purple dirt star and just go bang and blow him up, um, you kind of have to concede that those people had a point because that would have yeah. fucking worked. I mean, you have an, a huge battlefield where all the Avengers, all of Earth's mightiest heroes, and all of their sidekicks and everybody come together in a huge culmination of every character you've ever seen on screen up to that point to fight Thanos and all of his ships and all of his minions coming through portals and having a giant cataclysmic fight on the battlefield and and we got cap wielding Mjolnir and, and Thor's got Stormbreaker and all it's just a huge it's it's the culmination of everything to that point we and we lose you know Tony Stark and there's a huge it's just a, a massive massive fight but yeah, Ant Man could have flown up his ass and gone bang. But you know that would have like been a good time acting, like even if it would like have been a effective. heroic Haribo gummy bear. Yeah, like a, <laughs> like a superhero suppository, just bang <laughs> out he goes. That's but a, obviously, for the sake of dramatic live with that tension, you, you can't, how, you how do you can't live with yourself happen. after that? Well, I saved the universe, but I had to get covered in purple shit to do it. So I don't know; it's a trade-off. I don't even think Paul Rudd could make that funny. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm laughing about it just in concept. But anyway, uh, Thanos, you can't take anything away from that he, that, that that villain. He was uh, just such a, a towering presence in the MCU, both hinted at and the alluded master to. Manipulator. And then when he finally shows yeah. up, he just... And the other thing is, like, he wins at first. At the end of, of Infinity War, uh, we end on a, not a cliffhanger so much as just uh, a midpoint of the overall story. He fucking won. I mean, he got what he wanted. He collected all the Infinity Stones despite the efforts of Earth's mightiest heroes to attempt to collect them all. Uh, Should have gone for the head. You know, Thor comes at him and he just gets off the snap and half of everybody just dusts and turns into dust. And, and they fly away and, and, and then the heroes are left just literally holding the, the ashes of their friends and trying to piece together life. And five years goes by. Uh, the blip. Uh, it came to be referred to when when half of all life on Earth just simply didn't exist because Thanos won. Yeah, and and the repercussions for that are still being felt in the MCU. So yeah, then after all this earth shattering shit, we go back to Ant Man and the Wasp uh, with uh, the introduction of more down to earth characters. We had this ginormous. Uh, Earth-shattering, universe-affecting hero and villain thing. Cataclysmic, catastrophic, apocalyptic. Right. So now we got street level again, which is kind of nice. It was kind of a refreshing break. Uh, And so we have uh, Sonny Birch, played by uh, Walton Goggins, who I absolutely love. Love Walton Goggins. If you see, he's in what is it? True Detective. He's in. uh, uh, He was in uh, Django Unchained. He was in The Shield. He was yeah, he's a that guy shield. character actor yeah. you've seen show up in a thousand things, and now he's finally starting to come into his own as an A-lister and a guy who can carry a movie and a, a I love series. Him. And, uh, he's great. He's fucking He was fantastic. one of the best parts of The Shield, and I loved The Shield when it was out. Yeah. Um, so we got Walton Goggins playing uh, Sonny Birch, who's just a, a, just a shit-down arms dealer. Uh, and then Ava Starr, 
or Ghost, played by Hannah John Kamen. Uh, and in a surprising bit of not necessarily outright villainy, but misguided uh, villainy, you yeah. have uh, Bill Foster, who are Goliath, played by Lawrence Fishburne. And all Again, three of another these, one of my all-time just, favorite actors, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, fucking absolutely. fantastic this guy. Now I don't know much about uh, uh, Hannah John Kamen, but uh, she absolutely did a fantastic job. Uh, yep. It was it was very much kind of like that spy mystique kind of thing interlaced with yes. with super heroics and uh, of course Paul Rudd being Paul Rudd, which I always love. Um, I I thought it was a, an excellent. I don't think a whole lot need be said about this one. Uh, the villains were very earth based, very. Uh, I don't want to say like down to earth. That's weird. It's just much more focused and much more simple, I guess. Feasible. Feasible, yeah. yeah. But Ghost is another right one of those word. MCU characters. I, I consume a lot of geek media, uh, as, as obviously both because I love it and because I was looking for stuff to talk about when we do these wonderful episodes of the Figure Fandom Podcast. But Ghost is one of those characters that I've seen turn up more than once as, hey, whatever happened to her, she might show up again at some point. She's still out there. And I kind of hope she does. Because yeah. uh, I think she was an interesting character. I think what they did with the character was pretty neat. And uh, gosh, that's neat. And, um, you know, <laughs> I, I think that uh, I'd like to see more from that. Because they did definitely realize the potential of the character. But there's a lot more they could do with her. So I hope that they bring her back at some point. Because I found her to be interesting and left me wanting more on that front. Yeah, hook her up with the widows. Uh, yeah. Also, you, well, I mean, also you got Bill Foster still kicking around out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and Lawrence Fishburne who... is a... Just a goddamn fantastic actor. I'd love to see Absolutely. him come back. Absolutely. Uh, and we have another installment coming very soon, uh, Quantumania. So who knows? Maybe yeah. we'll get to see one or both of them again. Let's hope. Uh, the next Marvel movie on the list is Captain Marvel. And we have two characters really of note for Captain Marvel. We have Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, ben Mendelsohn? Mendelsohn? I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, playing Talos the Scroll. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Uh, we get our first introduction to our Earth-based uh, space villains, which is kind of neat. Uh, we get to see that they've been there a long time. And they're still there, which is going to play yeah. very heavily into the Secret Invasion coming up. Yes. Uh, the because these scroll very famously series. are shapeshifters, and so yeah. they could be anybody at any time. And so, with the introduction of the scrolls, and because of the fact that Captain Marvel uh, was released after Avengers, but chronologically was a throwback, and we, we kind of knew Captain Marvel was coming because at the end of uh, Infinity War, as, as everybody was dusting, including uh, Maria Hill and Nick Fury, Nick Fury pulls out the the pager and famously pages Captain Marvel. And then we kind of see in the Captain Marvel movie where the origin of the pager was. And it was a pager because Captain Marvel, the film, took place in the mid-90s. Yeah. So we got to kind of see a little bit of that. But what, what's interesting about it is that the, the, the character of Talos being introduced as a Skrull, and, well, he's been around for, you know, going on some 30-plus years now. Um, the Skrulls have been a part of the uh, the MCU this whole time, but they could be anyone, they could be anywhere, you don't know, and really neither do we. So it was a neat bit of both uh, introducing backstory in terms of characters being taken from the print editions and the larger Marvel Universe, but also right. um, creating widespread and rampant fan speculation of anybody could be a Skrull at any time. Who's, who's, who's a Skrull? That's and, the fun a, part of this. Anybody. 
they're talking about what kind of uh, the multiverse of madness and, and the kind of repercussions, the wide, widespread repercussions that's going to have on the MCU as a whole with the introduction yep. of the multiverse. But I, I stand to posit that Secret Invasion is going to have just as much, if not more, rippling effect throughout what's left of the MCU after Multiverse of Madness. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, because Secret Invasion, much like Secret Wars, Civil War, and even on the uh, the DC side, like Crisis Infinite Earths, was just really one of those massive world colliding, we're bringing all of our characters together for one big, huge story across several titles kind of comic book events. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they're even tackling that and taking it on at all is ambitious as fuck. But, I mean, if anybody can do it, based on the groundwork they've laid so far and based on the track record they have with handling these narratives, I think it's it's uh, Feige and the MCU folks. And then, of course, we can't uh, mention Captain Marvel without mentioning uh, Yon Rog, played by Jude Law, who ends up being the yeah. betrayer uh, towards uh, Carol Danvers' character. Uh, Jude Law's great. He's a good actor, very classically trained, but very good at what he does. Yep. Uh, I think we all kind of saw his villainous turn coming. He was a bit more broadcast, whereas by the end of the movie, uh, when Talos isn't necessarily a bad guy. So no. there was a nice and, uh, uh, shift in the middle of the movie where Yon-Rog the hero became Yon-Rog the villain, and where Talos the villain became Talos the hero. And of or course, at least the, anti-hero. the fact that the... Uh, yeah. The, the, the scrolls not necessarily being the bad guys, even though they were kind of set up to be the bad guys, uh, you know, really dovetails into what we mentioned in the last episode about the, the great Kree scroll war kind of using Earth as a battlefield and, and some of our heroes getting caught in the crossfire once in a while. Yep. It just, a lot of people who really only are familiar with the Marvel Universe as it is in the movies, it's a really good snapshot, but it's a postage stamp in comparison to what you really get on the page. We're talking decades of lore that are being drawn from his inspiration and that uh, that if, you, if you've if you got a foot in each world, you can really just look at what's going on in the MCU and, and it really does keep that anything can happen at any time sort of idea alive, especially when they start introducing like these long-standing chains of characters like the scrolls and the Kree. It just really becomes interesting and and uh, adds to the unpredictability of and the surprises that you might see on the screen happen at any time. So I, I really kind of fucking love what they're doing with that and I can't wait to see where they go with it. Next up we have Spider-Man Far From Home, the first movie that really dealt with the repercussions of the blip, the snap, whatever you want to call it, Thanos dusting mm-hmm. half of humanity. This shows what happens when they come back. Yeah. Uh, the after effects of that. Uh, so our villain in this movie uh, starts off the same way in a very heroic set of frame of mind. Played by Jake Gyllenhaal, we have Mysterio. Who, anyone who's ever read the comics knows old Fishbowl Head is, is, is not on <laughs> the up and up. But uh, the way Jake Gyllenhaal plays him, he plays him in a very heroic mindset. We get to see that, oh, maybe there's something more to this guy. Oh, Spider-Man, oh, maybe you shouldn't trust this guy, but uh, I don't care. You know, Nick Fury trusts him. Why not? Uh, Except he's not a hero, and that's not Nick Fury. And (sighs) Mysterio, mysterious, very, very well played by Jake Gyllenhaal, which I thought he just kind of vamped in the role. But it leads to some very awesome... uh, dramatic tension between him and Peter through Peter's idolization of Tony Stark uh, as an almost quasi-father figure versus the disgruntled employee that is 
Mysterio, so... Yeah, and I really like what they did with Mysterio in terms of originally introducing him as a hero, and then showing that he kind of was using his position from within Stark Industries and all the drones and all that to kind of achieve his own evil ends, but because the character was originally presented as being a hero and then later turned out to be a villain... Uh, that comes into play very heavily in the Spider-Man Far From Home when he is referenced, he kind of opens the film as a voiceover because they're picking up right where they left off from the last film, but also because you see a lot of allusions to the characters kind of scattered throughout the film in that whole Mysterio was right thing. Um, humanity is kind of divided among whether or not, especially since uh, half of, of, of the people in the uh, the Spider-Man arm of the MCU kind of believe... Um, the J. Jonah Jameson kind of Alex Jones muckraking right-wing media character <laughs> that uh, Spider-Man's a menace and a villain and Mysterio is right. To me, that's a really interesting metaphor to the real-world parallels of uh, a good chunk of humanity believes that the objectively villainous Donald Trump is correct. A lot of even people in our government are siding kind of not very subterraneously with Vladimir Putin in the current like Russian-Ukrainian conflict. Um there are always going to be people who sympathize with the villain. And not only is it a neat narrative device from the Thanos was right, Mysterio was wronged, uh, was right and was wronged, because, I mean, even when Peter comes back to school, you have the uh, the staff members, um, uh, Hannibal Burris, very famously, and J.B. Smoove, they, they, they sort of like are on different <laughs> sides of uh, of thinking that, you know, Mysterio is right versus Peter is a hero. And that, that it's a neat narrative device. Again, that's like sometimes the villain has a point within the, 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 con the context of the fictional narrative, but also it's it's a nice way to sort of parody and parallel real life uh, by people being politically divided and thinking like absolute pieces of shit like Donald Trump have a point. Um, so it, I think it's neat what they did with it. And I, it, it's really just another one of those things that, that tonally Marvel absolutely nails within the context of their universe. Absolutely. Uh, and then, now we're going to kind of hit these last couple pretty quick, because we got a few more to talk about, and I don't want to leave anybody out, but again, like we tend to do, we're running a little bit long. So, uh, mm -hmm. the next movie up, uh, Black Widow. We have uh, General Drakov, played by Ray Winstone, and in a surprise to everybody who didn't see it coming, in the uh, who is familiar with the character Taskmaster, in the comics, you get a departure from the comics material, with Antonia Drakov, the general's daughter, playing Taskmaster, where it was not in the comics. A lot Once again, of the people... dragon and big bad dynamic trope-wise. You've got your, your your machinations person behind the scenes, and then the the, uh, the the goon they send out into the field to the do their dirty gun. work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people had a lot to say about this. Now, I'm of the opinion, I enjoy Taskmaster in the comics. I think he's fun. The idea mm -hmm. of... Uh, of eidetic uh, physical memory, copy what you see, is really neat. I think it's yeah. unique. Um, I like how they touched up on that for uh, the more MCU real world take of it. Sure. Uh, it's certainly less cartoony. Uh, it explains it in a way that's less magic and more science, but uh, I didn't mind, actually, the take that they went with it. It made sense narratively. It made sense in a female-driven movie like Black Widow to have the main bad character be a female as well. That just makes sense. It's not pandering, I don't think. Uh, I think it was it was just a really interesting way to tell that story. And yeah. it got a lot Although, of Although, despite the, uh, the fact... On that point and to that point, I have kind of a, uh, a very geeky, semi-obscure take on 
the the Black Widow standalone film. Uh, I think it was great uh, because she was a very beloved character, and to have her killed off in Endgame again, spoiler alert. But it's been years, so if you haven't seen it by now and you're still listening to this podcast, you kind of know what you're in for. Regardless, um, to be able to go back and sort of put a button on that character by heading back chronologically and telling a chunk of her story that kind of happened in between other iterations of her showing up as a character in the larger MCU I think was a really good idea and it was it was she was really one of the last Avengers to not have her own movie I mean even Hawkeye had announced his series by then so she was one of the original ones to to still need to get her own film right so I think uh, they did right by Scarlett Johansson even if they kind of fucked her over by releasing it on streaming and messing with her money regardless narratively within the uh the, the actual uh larger context of the MCU I think it was a good turn however what I found interesting about it was the addition of General Drakov, Ray Winstone, um, as the sort of big bad of that movie, because I was a little disappointed that they didn't bring back Julie Delpy's Madam B from Avengers Age of Ultron. She was established as being, yeah. if not the, the, the runner of the Red Room, at least kind of the head trainer. She was the only person that was depicted as being sort of a, uh, a leader figurehead uh, during the Black Widow training program, and she did not appear at all um, in the uh, in in the you know in in the subsequent pop up of that concept within the MCU. So I thought that was kind of a missed opportunity, a rare I feel misstep on the part of the larger MCU and the the powers that be that kind of run it and maintain the the consistency I can see of that. the universe. It just yeah. kind of bummed me out not to see her come back because I mean it was a small part, but it was pivotal, and to not even have her show up or even reference her at all. In in the, uh, the the Black Widow film, I thought was kind of curious, but okay. I mean, whatever. And Taskmaster was played by uh, Olga Kurylenko. I didn't want to leave that. Yep. Um, all right, we're almost done here. Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. We finally, finally get uh. an on-screen representation of the true Mandarin, played by Tony Leung. Wenwu, the Mandarin. Tony Leung is yeah. a fantastic actor. His credits go way back uh just an absolutely amazing performer and, and to see him show up in this it's just marvel has this they're easily dismissed i mean people like uh martin scorsese can say oh that's not cinema because there's spandex and punching and all this but you know the 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 roots of superhero storytelling goes back to things like the scarlet pimpernel and zorro there's definitely a an archetype in narrative in literature for this larger than life uh, character that does superheroic things. So I think it's short-sighted of Martin Scorsese to call this not cinema. Um, but when you have actors like Hugo Weaving, like Tony Leung, like um, all of these fantastic... Alfred Cape Molina, Blanchett. these these, these uh, fantastic, classically yeah. trained actors. Guy yeah. Pierce, uh, with These actors with gravitas and, and credits and, and history showing up in these movies That's and playing these, these... Yeah, if if you're, I mean, it's not just money. If if your universe and your context is narratively strong enough to draw actors of that caliber, of which Tony Leung is one of the more prominent, um, yeah. then that's really saying something for what you're able to accomplish on the screen. Fucking fantastic in this movie, uh, Shang Chi. I really enjoyed this one. Um, you know, and to see that the realization that of of the Ten Rings after having it hinted at in Iron Man Two as far back as even ten years ago, to see that really come full circle—no pun intended—Ten Rings, haha. <laughs> and have that logo on the the flag that showed up behind Tony when he was being 
kidnapped and and uh, all of that stuff finally come around and, and, and really see, okay, this is the actual Ten Rings. But it's old enough and it's been around long enough that uh, it's been misinterpreted, it's been appropriated, it's been used in the wrong way, but we're actually finally going to see it and we're going to do so in the context of, of, of it being appropriate because it's Shang-Chi. It just was so satisfying to watch and the movie was fantastic. And to have uh, an Asian hero that is steeped in absolute Chinese symbology, mythology, uh, and, and to just have it be so, like, wuxi kind of, like, you know, wire work. It's just, it's so good. To take yeah. that whole wing of, like, Hong Kong, China filmmaking and bring it into the MCU and do it justice, you know, just, fantastic. you know, Crouching, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon style stuff. It's just, it's fantastic, and I, I just loved it, and I cannot wait to see... Uh, what they do, because obviously, very famously, if you've seen Shang-Chi, and if you haven't, then go watch it, but if you haven't seen it, the post-credits scene of tying into the larger MCU when Wong shows up and pulls him through the portal, and they get to talk to holograms of uh, of Bruce and uh, and Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, and Bruce has his arm in a sling, which of course, uh, that's going to figure in later. The last time we saw Bruce, he was still kind of like Professor Hulk, and there's just, there's so many things that they leave so many narrative threads open that you know they're going to tie up later because that's what Marvel does, that they just keep you watching. And yep. I just thought Shang-Chi was one of the better movies in the, the entire MCU, and uh, Tony Leung as Wenwu, the Mandarin, was was a huge part of that. Such a I great character, agree. so well portrayed, and a great it's story. Just, an actor of such amazing pedigree, it's just fun to watch what he does. God, because you, you know in the hands of of Marvel and, and Feige and company... Uh, and the directors that they pick and choose and work their way through, that they're going to give them something to work with. And it was fantastic yeah. to watch. Uh, next to last entry here, we have our movie, The Eternals. Really the biggest bad guy, I guess, would be Arisham, The Eternal. Yeah. Uh, played by, or voiced by David Kay. But really, the bad guy is not even the the variants. Or what do you, they weren't called the variants. What were they called? The... Uh, out of hell with it. I don't care. The the the, the bad guy monsters of the week, uh, but yeah. really the bad guy was Icarus himself, yeah. played by Richard Madden from uh, Game of Thrones, old Rob Stark himself. The King of the North. The King of the North. And uh, we we learn about halfway through this movie that uh, he's dedicated to Arisham's goal, hell or high water. And it doesn't matter what gets in his way or who, friend or foe or whatever, he's going to see this through. And, you know, most of the uh, supporting cast, most, uh, decide that, you know, Arisham's not right in this regard. That it will destroy the Earth and that they can't allow that to happen while Icarus is going to try and stop them. Which is, you know, honestly a very charitable take on what passed for the plot in that movie. Look, I don't want to shit on anything Marvel does, because <laughs> I'm, I'm just a committed fan. But Eternals, admittedly, was kind of a mess. I mean, I remember when it yeah. came along, people saying, well, I guess Thor The Dark World isn't the worst uh, MCU movie anymore. And it sucks, because it was so ambitious, and I don't want to shit on Chloe Zhao, who's a fantastic director. And we need more women directors, we really do. But, I mean, Eternals was just, I mean, it barely tied in with the rest of the MCU, um, it had a fantastic cast, obviously. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got uh, um, Richard Madden, like you said, uh, Gemma Chan, who is actually showing up again. Uh, she was uh, one of the original Kree uh, warriors. Was it Kree warriors? Oh, again, confusing. But uh, she's Captain Kree. Marvel. But she's yeah. Right. But she shows up again as Cersei in Eternals, and we've got 
powerhouse performers like Angelina Jolie and Salma Hayek and another Game of Thrones veteran, Kit Harington, Camille Nanjiani, who famously bulked up for this role, um, Brian Tyree Henry, just uh, Barry Keoghan, amazing, amazing actors, Ma Young Sok, just great, great actors in this movie, um, all over the map in terms of diversity, but it just, it was kind of a confusing, crowded mess of too many characters, too thin of a plot, beautiful to look at, but just not, when the best thing you can say about a particular edition of the MCU film is the post credit sequence was entertaining. <laughs> uh, when you've got um, Harry Styles, uh, famously of One Direction, showing up as Eros, Thanos' brother, and uh, his his sidekick, uh, again, another repeat casting in the MCU. Um, uh, Pip the Troll. Uh, Patton Oswalt. Yeah, Patton Oswalt playing the troll. Uh, when he famously played multiple characters in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. series, which, again, maybe retroactively isn't canon anymore, but whatever. It's a mess. But Eternals was and he just played Modoc. I, it was such a disappointment. Yeah, he played Modok oh, yeah, as did. well. That's a, a, a rare triple threat in the MCU, and its many branches. But I just, I you know, I again, I don't want to shit at anything Marvel does because it just seems really crappy to do that. But Eternals was just not good. It was just disjointed and messy and bloated and all over the map. And the performances were good, but the narrative was just not where it needed to be in order to really make it a viable entry into the overall universe. And I, I'll maintain that you know uh, that it was just a missed opportunity. But on the other hand. Now we come to the last movie entry of the MCU, mm-hmm. Spider-Man No Way Home, which sees the return of not one, not two, not three, but four or five different villains from all the previous iterations of Spider-Man. So we got Alfred Molina back as Doc Ock. Hello, Peter. We got Jamie Foxx back as Electro. We got Willem Dafoe chewing the shit out of the scenery as Norman Osborn again. Strong enough to have it all? Too weak to take it! The biggest scenery chewer in a universe full of scenery chewers. (laughs) We got Thomas Hayden Church back as Sandman, sort of. He doesn't, I don't think he was physically there ever. Well, just in the very end when when Peter finally... uh, yeah, shows off the... Well, he was there in voice, and he did the mocap, but you don't see his face but for like five seconds at the very end of the movie. And then, of course, uh, Kurt Connors, Dr. Kurt Connors, played by uh, Riza Fons, the, the lizard. Uh, so, this movie didn't give us anything new. I'm going to preface this with that. We have all... True. It's like the greatest hits of Spider-Man, is what we got with this movie. Total fan service start to finish. I don't care because we got every frame of this movie we got to see them interact with spider-man in a way that we never got to see them interact with toby we never got to see them interact with andrew because tom holland's not the one they're used to you're not peter parker so we got to see you know doc ock take a turn from villainy which was super cool. That first scene with him on the bridge was fucking fantastic. Electric. Yeah. Uh, we got to see a kind of a goofy take with Electro. We got to see Sandman in a mostly heroic kind of role. Yeah. Trying to help Peter for the most part. I mean, he kind of deviated at the end. Yeah. Um, the but lizard. I mean, in terms of, yeah. of, of sympathetic villains that you can sort of uh, understand their point and, and see the side of, yeah. I mean, Spider Man has always been a more street level hero in that 
Stan Lee very markedly gave Peter some very human problems. He had to protect Aunt May. He had to make sure that he got his clothes on in time to take his algebra final. I mean, Peter was always a very human hero, despite his right. incredible abilities. Right. And his, his villains, his rogues gallery, was always very human as well. And because Dr. Octavius was established as being... He just wanted to create these these uh, robotic arms to help him build his his projects, but the AI chip burned out that allowed the the uh, the, the the governor on the AI to overtake his consciousness, and he wasn't evil. It was just you know it, it was out of control technology, and Electro that made sense. Um, you know he just he fell into a vat of whatever, and he just he 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 was a little bit more villainous in in uh, in the previous iteration of the. Of the Amazing Spider-Man series, but here uh, he was just kind of a guy, and half the time he was just sort of like, "Okay, I'm listening. You know, I'll, I'll be I'm, okay. I'm, I'm capable of doing some monstrous things, but I'm willing to listen to your point and keep my shit in check for a minute, and we'll mm-hmm. see if maybe we can fix this." And same with Willem Dafoe. I mean, he always uh, the Green Goblin was always the the walking embodiment of, of uh, multiple personality slash bipolar disorder. Mm. Um, and when he was just being Norman Osborn, he was kind of a pathetic character. He lost his son. He lost his business. He lost everything. And then um, and the and his I'm mind sorry, and he knew you, it. But he knew Norman's it. Norman's not here right now, you know. And then he goes and does his thing. And 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 uh, Flint just wanted to help his daughter. I mean, it's these these are these guys are villains, but. They're only doing what they feel like they have to do in order to, to protect and preserve what's important to them. The only Which, yeah. uh, villain in this movie that's objectively villainous is the lizard, who wants to turn people into lizards for whatever his own motivations are. <laughs> Everybody else at least has some aspect of their character that you can kind of go, yeah, you know what, he's, just, he's protecting his family, he's trying to advance technology, he suffers from mental illness, whatever it happens that is their problem... Um, it was real easy to believe the scenes in Happy's apartment where the, the bunch of them, one shy of the Sinister Six, which I thought was, you know, the only missed opportunity in the whole film. They should have had the Vulture show up. They should have had Rhinos or something. Because um, just having the Sinister Six on screen would have been so baller. And to go that far and not quite cross the line was a little bit of a bitch. The only complaint that I have about the entire film, though. But to have all of them kind of standing around going, okay, I'm listening. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure I'm really necessarily on, in, in your camp yet here, Pete, but uh, I'm willing to entertain that you might have a point, so let's see what we can do. And then only when it all goes wrong does everything really start popping off, and that's when you get all three Spider-Men fading all five villains and the giant Statue of Liberty scene with uh, Doctor Strange on the top trying to heal rifts in the universe, which we've all seen it. We've all seen it multiple times, and it just worked on every level. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just five villains for the price of one. And usually, if you start crowding your film with villains, it just... Nobody gets enough screen time. The story isn't fully realized, but Marvel just has so few moments where they step in shit that this was really just well, I think a success. They from learned start to from back in the Sam Raimi days, I think, with uh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. the third Spider-Man movie when they brought in uh, Venom, Sandman, Venom, and Sandman Hobgoblin. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, they Didn't just kind of they knew that they'd shit the bed on that at that point. Even uh, Sam Raimi had not wanted Venom in the movie in the first place. Um, right, but they kind of forced his hand, and we got what we got. But yeah, like you said, we're we're able to see them humanize these characters even further than uh, the Raimi trilogy did, or Andrew Garfield's two different takes. We're able to see them humanize well, most of them. Okay, we still didn't get much humanizing out of the lizard, but yeah, so that's that's one or the other. But uh, we got to see Flint Marco take on a more heroic role. We got to see Otto take on a more heroic role. We got to see. Electro take on a more realistic role, I think. He was yeah. a little less campy and a little more, you know, understandable human. as a villain. Yeah, human. Yeah. 
I mean, it was just, and, and then Norman, like you said, the poster boy for uh, BPD and uh, multiple personalities, you know, he's just, uh, when you've lost everything, including your mind, there's nowhere else to yep. go but crazy. <laughs> Truth. Uh, so uh, I also want to make sure that we mention before we end up here again, uh, we also have quite a lot of wonderful villainous takes in the uh, Disney Plus shows that we've had. Falcon and Winter Soldier, of course, had uh, Daniel Brühl playing Helmut Zemo. We had Car- uh, Carly Morgenthau played by Aaron Kellyman. And then Sharon Carter in a strangely villainous role as the power broker. Um, yeah. And then also... Uh, John Walker uh, playing uh, U.S. agent, or not John Walker playing U.S. agent, but John Walker, the U.S. agent, played by Wyatt, Wyatt Russell. Yeah. Uh, Kurt's kid. Uh, fantastic, all in their own rights. Uh, yep. WandaVision, we had the amazing Catherine Hahn playing Agatha Harkness, who we will see who again. Is, she's just so fucking delicious. I've loved her, yeah. everything she's ever done. She was perfect in this role. Yeah. Uh, they didn't necessarily broadcast the. Uh, the, the Agatha Harkness turn too much, and I think a lot of people, especially when being as WandaVision is one of the first Disney Plus series, mm-hmm. um, not the first, but one of the first, um, a lot of people sort of like, what the fuck are they doing? Why does this look like an old sitcom? But anybody who hung in and really stuck with it, and, and it was just incredibly was rewarding to see how it all played payoff, out. such a payoff. And I killed Sparky, too. And just such an emotional load to it, too. Just brilliance and, and, and wonderful. Which, of course, ties into uh, Multiverse of Madness coming up here soon. Uh, yeah. Hawkeye, we were reintroduced to Vincent D'Onofrio's Wilson Fisk, the Kingpin. But and as I said in the get, last episode, yeah. uh, Wilson Fisk yeah. is, is easily my favorite Marvel villain. Uh, and I can sort of say that now because he has been brought into the MCU. So that the Daredevil, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's uh, uh, Kingpin, Wilson Fisk, is... Officially Marvel canon now, but even before he was, he was my favorite take on Marvel villains because he was so nuanced. He was so absolutely convinced that he was the hero of his own story, and it just read both in the writing and the incredible performance by one of the, again, I just keep on saying, one of the best actors we have whenever we talk about most of these folks we've been talking about. (laughs) But Vincent D'Onofrio is just a towering presence on the screen, physically and emotionally, and just in terms of his talent, fucking fantastic. My favorite MCU villain, Absolutely. hands down, and bar none. And, and he's got a lot of competition, but he he stands head and shoulders above everybody else. Pun definitely Literally. intended. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then of course we have Maya Lopez, uh, played by Alakwa Cox, uh, our first uh, ASL character, our first deaf character, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. played by Echo, and she was fantastic. And again, we'll see more of her coming up in her own series as well, which is yep. super exciting. And then, of course, uh, lastly, we had Loki. And with Loki's series, we had uh, Sylvie, uh, played by Sofia DiMattino. And uh, we also get our first taste of the Multiverse of Madness. We got He Who Remains, played by Jonathan Majors, who I have Heavily to Heavily implied out, to be a, K- a Kang, Kang the Conqueror. But almost Kang. 
Heavily implied to be, be but a, yeah. perhaps a variant of Kang. We don't know because again, right. when you talk about the multiverse, you talk about different takes on characters and and variants and and is that you know even in the multiverse of madness trailer, we've got a uh, a sort of mirror universe uh, Doctor Strange, which you know it's hard to tell really who's the evil one because they both have goatees. Um, <laughs> but you know there you right. go. But yeah, heavily implied to be at least a version of Kang the Conqueror. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, just kind of like also heavily implied to be kind of the guy who's behind everything. Um, the big, just, big, big bad, if you will. So right. that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And Absolutely. of course, it also bears mentioning that by the time this episode drops, Multiverse of Madness will have been in theaters on Friday. Um, mm, that's already. Right. So by the time you listen to this, we, we could, it's possible you've already seen the movie. Uh, we haven't yet. It's not out yet. We record a couple of days out. But, um... Yeah, by the time this drops, we'll see it. And there, there could be some real surprises. We obviously know that Chiwetel uh, uh character shows back up again. Um, we've seen that in the trailers. Um, so obviously we've seen the Multiverse of Madness trailer by now. And we've seen Mordo show up again, so we know Chiwetel Ejiofor comes back. Um, but uh, we, there's a lot we don't know about Multiverse of Madness. And if you remember, watching the trailers that came out ahead of uh, No Way Home... They didn't give away much. They had just enough uh, imagery of cool stuff like uh, Strange and Peter riding the train through uh, negative space and, uh, you know, seeing shots of, uh, of Ned and MJ and all the stuff that you, you eventually did see in the film, but they didn't give away any big surprises. And I have a feeling that even though we know Wanda shows up, and again, there's some more gray morality happening there because in every version of the trailer, it's come out where she says, you break the rules and you're a hero, and I break the rules and I'm a villain. How is that fair? So Scarlet Witch, of course, has played both sides of the card as well. More of that sort of gray morality that, that Marvel excels at so much. But it's it's going to be mm-hmm. interesting to see. By the time this comes out, we'll have new uh, villains to talk about. So the next episode we do, we'll have to touch on that a little bit and kind of see, because we'll have both seen it by then, where they go with it. But... Um, yeah, for now, I think that pretty much covers everybody. Yeah, so the last two episodes has been kind of this love fest for the MCU, and I'm an unabashed MCU fan. I'm going to put that out there. I feel like Girl most same. people in this spectrum of nerd that we kind of circle around in uh, are kind of in the same vein. Maybe to a lesser degree, maybe to a more of a, a higher degree. It depends. It kind of varies on a scale. But I think, by and large, the MCU has given us this, I mean... Martin Scorsese aside, all these naysayers aside, this is as close to comic books on screen as we're going to get, as Mm -hmm. we've ever gotten. We could talk about all the shitty movies that came before it, the Blades, which weren't even that bad, the, uh, you know... The Roger Corman Fantastic Four. I love that movie, but it's, I love it for its terribleness. But uh, all of these, all that came before, uh, to varying degrees of liked it, loved it, hated it, it sucked, whatever. The MCU has learned from all of that and are able to put forth not only heroes that have this wonderful story arc and this wonderful journey and and depth of character, but we're also getting a mo- most of these villains that we've discussed, most, 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 we've gotten wonderful storytelling and deep dive into their history and motivations. You got your Killmongers, you got... You know, all your your Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin and your Doc Ox. I mean, you've got all these characters that have this motivation, this story behind them that that resonates, that hits chords, and so that's why I wanted to talk about. A lot of people spend a lot of time talking about the heroes of the MCU, the good guys, but I wanted to talk about the bad guys because a good guy ain't shit without a bad guy. A good guy yeah, is nothing you're only, without you're only a compelling as good as your, villain. Your foil. 
Right. Without uh, peanut butter, there's no jelly. Without darkness, no light. Without yin, there's no yang, man. you got to have a, a compelling opposition Absolutely. in order to give yourself something to fight against. And if the stakes aren't high enough, then your hero is just going to fall flat with nothing to do. And you mentioned that Kingpin is your kind of go-to guy in the MCU. Love so I'll, I'll put it out there. Pretty much my favorite MCU villain is probably Eric Killmonger. Just because oh, of the way he was portrayed me. and the yeah. way that he just he handled himself. And, you know, he's got the motivation. He's got the drive. He could easily be a hero, but he chose the wrong path. And I love that. Yeah. And I thought Michael B. Jordan was fantastic in the role. But we want to know, who do you feel is the best villain in the MCU? Uh, send us a line at uh, Facebook. Hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fandom. You can talk to us at fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up at the backup Gmail address, which is fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at fuel underscore your or on Instagram at, at fuelyourfandom. And we hope you do. Absolutely. So, this has been a fun-filled couple of episodes talking about the beloved MCU. And so I hope for your sake, by the time this hits your ear holes, you either have a plan ready or you're already seen it, but go out and check out Multiverse of Madness. Not a sponsor. They don't have to be. They own my soul. So, <laughs> I hope you enjoy uh, seeing the movie, and I hope you've enjoyed listening to another episode of the Feel Your Phantom podcast. And please do remember, uh, even the villains, everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. Take care. He's out of line, but he's right.